Hey guys, we're starting a new series on conflict. And that week that the service went like an hour and a half, um, I only got into like the first like five, ten minutes of it because of daylight savings time and uh, new partners and marriage dedication and all these excuses. But we are kind of going in the second half of that first part of the message, which is the introduction. So we're going to be talking for like five weeks or so about conflict. Like in really like peacemaking, peacekeeping, because, uh, and this isn't a, a diss on anybody here, it's a, diss on, it's a diss on all of us and the American church, is we don't always handle conflict 100% well. Is that fair to say? Does anybody here like disagree and say, oh no, I think we handle conflict awesome all the time. And all our marriages have like, I don't know, like the, the couples that have been married for longer than me, like, I've been married for, like, almost going on 17 years now, 15 years. No, going on 15 years, somewhere 15 to 17 years. It all kind of blends together at some point. Yes, now I'm going to have conflict after this. Uh, but if you've talked to anybody who's been married for 20 years, I know we have some 25 years, 30-year marriages, there's... 35, would you say? Nice. Does anybody have 35 beat? Yeah. Cindy? Almost 39. Awesome. Roger? 37. All right. Cindy and Richard are still... Oh, uh, Pat and Kirk? 40. Oh, Beth, 44? Nice. So, do you guys, are you guys like, is, is conflict a thing of the past in your marriage? Okay. And guess what? People that have been going to church for like 50 or 60 years, they still need help how to do conflict well in church. And if you've been working in your, in your work with the same employees for 60 years, you realize that there's still conflict happening there. And it's like, you might be like, why is this happening? But we, as we talked about before, conflict is good. Conflict is good. And we said, does God hate conflict? No. God hates unhealthy conflict. God hates unresolved conflict. But I think God enjoys conflict because conflict means that we want to be unified. Conflict means that we want to be united. We may not always agree on everything, right? But conflict says, I don't like that we're having this problem. I want to fix the problem. And so we enter into conflict. And it's not bad. It's good. Because I love you. And we are supposed to love each other, right? Like this isn't just a big room full of strangers. This is a church where we are called to love one another. Amen? And so you're supposed to love your spouse. You're supposed to love your kids. You're supposed to love your parents. You're supposed to love each other. You're supposed to love the lost. And because of love, it drives us to resolving conflict and, and figuring conflict out. So uh, I'll breeze through the first couple points that we made last time, but we talked about God is a relational God. He created Adam and Eve, so God is relational. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He created man in his own image so he could have a relationship with him, so God's relational. Um, he also gave us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, so he's always with us until Christ returns and we go up to heaven, and guess what? 
heaven is all about there's no sin, there's no pain, there's no suffering, and we get to be with God all the time. Relationship, right? Relational. Um, so we went through that, and then we talked about this diagram, and I'll show this diagram again because you might use it in other parts during the series. So um, this series, if you guys are taking notes and you want to look at the book, is sort of derived from this curriculum called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. So if you guys like to take notes and you're into reading, uh, it's a pretty good book, but it's also a curriculum that churches use sometimes, and I'm deriving some of this from that. And that's where this chart comes from, is Peacemaker. Um, but this talks about, like, how do you respond in conflict? And so the way this chart works is, like, generally we should be at the top, right? Like, if it's a minor offense, and the, in the, all the way to the left of the top is we overlook it, right? Somebody scuffs up your nice white shoes, that might not be something that you have to have a confrontation about. It might just be something that you get over and wipe off your shoes, right? Uh, reconciliation, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, accountability. Um, and then if we slip too far to the right, that's what we call the attack response. And that's what, it's not peacemaking. It's actually, does anybody remember what it's called? Yes, thank you. Peace breaking. And so, um, and then if you go too far to the left, it's the escape response, and that's called peace faking, right? Everything's okay. I'm okay. Anybody ever hear that before with that tone and inflection? I'm okay. I'm okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's like, whoa, that person is far from okay. I just think that they want to run away from the conflict and fake it, and it's called peace faking, um, and again, and the attack is like anything from name-calling to accusing, and at the farthest extreme is murder. And escaping is denial, running away, and at the furthest extreme is like the furthest extreme of escape is suicide, right? As, so the furthest you could run away, and it's what happens. So the question we go to next is, how do you respond in conflict? And how do you respond to conflict? So we all can go to different sides at different times. It doesn't mean you always are into peace faking, or it doesn't mean that you're always into peace breaking, but it means that we tend to go in different ways. Um, and so peace faking is, I just want to get out of this. I don't want to deal with this. Like, maybe because of conflict in your life, growing up, it never went well. Maybe you were abused. There's a lot of folks around our area and in our churches and in our families uh, that we know of that were abused, like physically. And so when they think of conflict, they think of pain because their mom or dad hit them, un unfairly hit them, right? And so for them, conflict's like, I got to get out of here. Or maybe they were verbally abused. And they were, when they entered in conflict, they were just were told dirty things about themselves, and so they try to get away from conflict. It's peace-faking. And the attack, attack response is um, peace-breaking. That's where somebody accuse. it could be anything from accusing you, hurting you, but you're saying, like, I want to hurt you. I, I want to make you to feel pain. I want you to make you feel shame. I just want to heap this on you. I want to make you feel bad. So that's like attacking. Okay, so we, we kind of went over that. And peacemaking is the biblical response that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. And, and ways that the Bible teaches that we could be so much better at that. And if we get better at this, our church will be much better for it. 
J-Road will be a much better church. Your marriage will be so much better for it, and you will have a pleasant marriage. And if everybody knows if your marriage is good, and particularly husbands, if you've got a happy wife, you actually have a happy life. And I think that's in the Bible somewhere. So if you could be happy in your marriage, everything else will flow better from that. If you could have, if your relationship with your kids go better. And so this goal is for this to look in God's Word and to help us be better at conflict. Okay? Um, we talked about a working definition of conflict. Do I have a slide for that? I wasn't sure if we have a slide for the working definition of conflict. Yes. There it is. A clashing or sharp disagreement between ideas, interests, or purposes that frustrate someone's goals or desires. And we talk about this a lot, but it's like in marriage, I always use such an example because it's good, but in marriage, in parenting, there's going to be a clashing of desires. Okay? Not like even parenting, say, for instance. You start to have a teenager, and one of their desires is to have freedom, right? Mom, I'm 13. I know it all already, and I'll be safe. You don't have to watch over me, right? I'm 13. I got it all figured out. And then a parent's desire is to protect. And so whether you have a 13 or a 16, 17-year-old, they have a desire to be free. You have a desire to protect, and that creates conflict, why don't you let me have Google on my phone? Well, I care about you, and there's stuff on the internet that's kind of bad for your brain. It'll screw you up up here for the rest of your life if you see it. I'm trying to protect you from that. Well, you just don't trust me. So I want a parent that trusts me. It's like, no, it's not about that. So it's, conflict is just like we both have two different desires. In marriage, we have different desires. In church, we have different desires. We have different goals. I have goals, you have goals, and the goal is, is that we're all on the same page. Does that sound good? That makes sense? Okay. So, so why should we try to live at peace, and why is this all so important? Well, number one, in John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23, Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, so in the garden, Jesus goes to the cross with his disciples, or but he goes to, before the cross, he goes to the garden with his disciples, and Jesus prays, and he says, this night that I'm about to be arrested, I just want to spend my last moments with my disciples praying. And so he prays for all these things. He prays for his disciples. He also prays for you all in this moment. And you know what Jesus prays for in his last prayer before the cross? He prays that the church would be unified. He prays that we'll be one. And he prays that there won't be gossiping in the church. He prays that there won't be backbiting. There won't be meddling. There won't be complaining. There won't be fighting. He prays that we will be one and we will love each other. So let's, let me read here what he says in John 17. Jesus prays for unity in his last prayer. My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be what? Okay. Verse 21. That all of them may be... Yeah, that they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, meaning the Holy Spirit now lives within them, verse 22, that they may be as we are, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let me just pause right there as we think about that. Let me pray for us real quick. Jesus, your words are so good and they're so powerful. And sometimes, God, we can read a passage and we might know it in our head, but we do not know it in our heart and we do not know it in our actions. So, God, help us live this out today and help us live it out the rest of our lives of how important this unity was. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, so he goes on to say, I, I hope that they're one. I want them to be one. And then what he's basically saying is the greatest advertisement for Christ in our lives is our unity. And in a sense, our ability to be a loving church and to handle conflict in our different spaces that the church is in is one of the greatest advertisements for Jesus in our lives, right? I might not be the best at evangelism, and many of you might be in the same boat, saying, I'm not a gifted evangelist. I don't know every word. If I try to tell people about Jesus, they might not know every word. And what I'm here to say is, that is okay. If you Show the world that you could handle conflict well, that you could forgive people, that you forgive. Like, let's say somebody at your work sees somebody else did something really bad to you, and they said, ooh, girl, you're going to get her back? And it's like, you know what? I, I'm going to try to talk to her. I hope that she'll—I'll I, forgive her. I hope that she apologizes, but I'll forgive her. What? You'll forgive her after what she did to you? Yeah. Why? Well— I'm a Christian, and I follow Jesus, and Jesus says we need to forgive other people, and I just want to do that. Well, that must be easy for you. It's like, no, it's not, right? It's not easy for me. It's actually really hard, but I follow Jesus and his teachings, and this is what he says that we should do. It's like, whoa. And he's saying in verse 23, so that they may be brought to unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me. So uh, the greatest advertisement for Christ in our lives is our ability to love others, forgive others, handle conflict healthy in a good way. It's, that's why this series is so important. And the church should try its best to always attain unity. And so the question is, is like how attractive is the church when, the, when a particular local church body looks no different than the rest of the world. There, if there's fighting, if there's gossip, if there's splitting, if there's divorces, if it's like, hey, that church is really no different than the homestead. It's kind of like, it's really not much different. If you guys don't know what the homestead is, it's a bar by my house. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, many, maybe you thought the homestead was something else. It's a bar by my house. Uh, that church is no different than the doghouse saloon. They meet weekly, you know, they talk, they socialize, but there's less fighting at the doghouse saloon. They're actually pretty friendly over there. That church is nothing but fighting and, you know, backbiting and all this stuff. 
And I'm sure we've seen churches like that. And so that's not going to draw the world to us. It's actually going to push the world away. So we should aspire for unity. And guess what? There's no way a church or a marriage or a workplace or a mother-father relationship with their kids is going to be peaceful without some conflict. Do you understand that? You might think, man, my marriage, like, we were arguing today and we argued last week. Maybe this isn't the marriage I thought it was going to be. It's like, what are you you jumping to that for? It's like you are going to be arguing and working through conflict. It's not unhealthy, but we should be working through conflict all the days of our lives. Because in a marriage, it's two sinners that are trying to come together and work things out. We got two broken people that are sinners that are trying to work things out. So there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be arguments and disagreements. And that's good if it's handled in a biblical way. Number two, God wants reconciliation and peace before worship. He wants reconciliation before worship. So jumping over or jumping before to Matthew 5, 23 through 24, near the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, and this is really important for us. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first and go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. It's saying that Jesus wants, God wants you to be in peace with the people in your lives before he wants any worship from you. If you have conflict and and unrest in your life that's not resolved, then you should go fix that first. Another way to say this probably in our day and age is, let's say you come to church, let's say you got a a bonus at work, and you got $10,000 at work, a bonus, I don't know who gets that, but imagine somebody got $10,000. There are people out there that get that. But let's say you're like, I'm so excited. Jay Rhodes, $1,000 behind on the budget, and I'm going to go give this $1,000 to the church today. And it's a big gift. It's, it's, it's above and beyond my usual gift because I got it. I'm going to tithe. He's saying, if you are about to give that check in that offering box and you realize that somebody has something against you, you should put that check back in your purse or wallet and go and be reconciled. And then come back and give your gift. It's like a big deal. Don't give your money to the church if you are struggling in conflict. Like, if you, or I should say if there's unresolved conflict. And usually we're tempted to say, if they have a problem with me, they should come and talk to me about it. That's an excuse for us not to go have peace. Right? Look what it says. I mean, these aren't my words. He says, if you are offering your gift to the altar and you remember that somebody has something against you, it's like, I have nothing against them, but I know that they have something against me. You should leave your gift and go do that. And especially if you have something against somebody else, you should do that too. But it's saying, like, you shouldn't say, if they have a problem with me, they can come talk to me, but I'm going to stay right where I'm at. It's like the Bible says go. Seek out conflict resolution, right? You should seek that out, and that's important. I think I hit a nerve with like half of you because I just seen everybody get really quiet. They're like, oh, heck no. 
I didn't say it. Read it up there. It's in God's Word, Matthew 5. That's why I give the reference. So leave it there. Leave it there. So um, I'm going to give you guys a quick guide to conflict resolution. This is kind of like the overview. And then in the weeks ahead, we'll really break some of these down and we're going to different areas. But so what I'm going to give you guys is four G's. All right, so not 4G like LTE, because I think that's now old, right? Isn't it like 5G now? Or is it now on to 6 or 7G? I'm not sure what G we're at, but in my sermon, we have 4Gs, all right? So uh, the 4Gs to resolving conflict, all right? The first is this, to glorify God, to glorify God. That should be like one of our first things in everything. I think it's coming up on, do I have a slide for that? I think. All right, thank you. We're visual learners sometimes. Uh, guide to resolving conflict, glorify God. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, do everything for the glory of the Lord. And so when you are in conflict, like what is the ultimate goal in conflict? To bring glory to God. That should be our mindset. When you are entering into conflict with your spouse or anything, our goal should bring glory to God. We want to please Him. And how can I bring glory to God with this conflict? And it is possible. Me and my wife could be heaping mad at each other, having a conflict. And we have to have the foundation that, hey, we really need to glorify God in this conflict. So I'm not going to call her a name because that's not glorifying God, right? But if I show her something that hurt me, that glorifies God. That's not bad. If I honor her and love her like the husband I'm supposed to be, that is good. It glorifies God. And so we should always be thinking about that. Conflict is an opportunity. Conflict is not bad. God doesn't hate it. Conflict is an opportunity to strengthen your relationship in the church, to strengthen your marriage, to strengthen your parenting and your friendships. So God wants to be glorified. And I'm going to tell you, it's not natural to want to glorify God in conflict. Some of you, when you're in conflict, and you maybe fall on the peace-breaking side, all you want to do is just get revenge and pound this person in the ground. And we want them to feel the pain that you felt. So our goal is to hurt somebody and make them feel as bad as we do. And it's like, no, that's not the goal. The goal is to glorify God. And, and to, so we need to keep that in the forefront. Number two, um, the second G is get the log out of your own eye. And if you guys remember what Justin used to say back in the day is don't be a plank guy, all right? Don't be a plank guy. So what that means is, uh, read it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. It says this, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The verse preceding that, it's, it's basically saying like if your friend has a speck in their eye and you're trying to get it out and you have this big old log, right? It's saying don't do that. Don't be a plank eye. And actually, I have a little illustration for this to burn it into your brain. So, Brian, if you could come up here real quick. He's the best person I could think of for this illustration. It's all right. There's a two-part illustration, and there's a purpose for the illustration, so please bear with me. All right. 
Well, you don't have to get naked up here. Come on, man. Leave your clothes on. Sorry, I shouldn't have said naked. You don't have to get derobed up here, all right? All right. So, all right. <laughs> all right. Imagine this is like grandma's like nice pie, right? All right. And Brian and I were just at our grandma's house. If you didn't know this, we're brothers. You can see the resemblance. Uh, and uh, we're at our grandma's house, and we were eating pie, and he has like a, like a little something right there, right? Just a total like n n pie noob, right? And let's say I have like this right here. <laughs> Is that good? All right. Is this good? How? I can't mess up the mic or Bruce Kunkel will kill me. Is that already over? Okay. All right. This is a great illustration for us. So when we're in conflict, <laughs> here's the thing about being a plank guy. We get done eating pie, and I'm like, bro, you have something on your face. What is wrong with this guy? And I go over to Jeff, and I start gossiping and saying, Brian has something on his face. He doesn't see it, but it's right there. And oh my gosh, do you guys see this guy? Like, what an idiot. He has stuff on his face. And here's the problem. Do I see anything going on with my own face? I actually don't. My eyes are looking out. I don't see. But if I look at Brian, I see that he has a mess on his face. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example. In every argument, to try not to be a plank guy is you have two things at your disposal. You either have a window or a mirror. And in church, we need to look at this. So all the time, most people in the church or in our lives, we have a window, and we just like to look at other people. Why are my problems the way that they are? Let me look. Let me look at Brian. Let me look at Tara. Let me look at Tim. Let me look at, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me look at Megan. Let me look at Tom. Why are my problems the way that they are? Because I'm always looking out at other people. And what the Word of God says is, we need to put down our window, and we need to grab a, what's this? Many of us don't like mirrors. But if I were to put down the window and pull up the mirror, I'm like, oh my gosh, I look totally ridiculous right now. Oh my gosh! I didn't realize I looked like that. What is wrong with me? And none of us tend to pick up the mirrors in our own life to look at our own selves in the mirror. I was just telling everybody how big of a bonehead this guy is. I'm ten times worse. I didn't even realize it. Thank you. Oh, here. See, I told you that wouldn't be too bad. Mm. Here. Hold on, guys. Talk amongst yourselves for a minute. So I don't have to preach with this stuff on my face. I think this illustration is incredibly important in every relationship we're in. When we are in conflict and there's problems in our life, we are so quick to pull out the window and look at other people as to why we are in the situation we're in. 
And what God's Word says is look in the mirror. And this is why accountability is so important. Because if I don't have a mirror handy, you guys could tell me what I'm messing up on. If I was at a party and we were just eating grandma's pie and I'm going around telling Chrissy how big of an idiot Brian is because he's got pie in his face, she could be like, Jim, you're actually a bigger idiot because you have stuff all over your face. And I'm like, really? Oh my gosh, you're right. And that's how the church should work, right? We point out each other's flaws gently. We, we point with love. But it all starts with stop looking through the window and start looking inside the mirror, right? And when we can look at the mirror, we see things we might not always see. And we see our blind spots. And uh, the problem is, a lot of us, and, I'll, and I think the onset of especially those growing up in the TikTok generation, it's like we've kind of sort of developed a little bit of narcissism in all of us. Do you guys know what a narcissism is? Everything's about me. Guess what? When I go on Facebook and I see the little icon lit up with the little notifications, guess who all those notifications are about? This guy, right? Hey, Cindy liked your picture. Kevin liked your picture. This person didn't like your picture. Hey, this person said this. And it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And that's what this verse is about. It's saying like you're a hypocrite. Look in the mirror. Before you start judging other people, just look at what's going on and, and how can you fix what's going on in your own life. And as people in society, like all of our conflict would be a lot more smoother if we paused before we entered it and say, what could I be contributing to this problem? Because guess what? And when we enter a conflict, there's never a time where it's 100% her fault and 0% my fault. That's not how conflict works. There's always something I could own up to. And so, can we commit as a church to be like, where am I at? Like, where am I at in this situation? Like, what have I contributed to this problem? And looking in the mirror, when we're in our relationship, instead of looking just through the window at our spouse, that we look in the mirror first and say, what am I doing wrong? That is so important. And as I said, TikTok generation, everything's about me, everything's about me. It's not about you. We exist first and foremost for the glory of God. Amen? And then, secondly, we exist to love others. Nowhere in the Bible says love yourself well. Because we just do that naturally. <laughs> like, it's called pride. We have to push this off and put ourselves to the side. I think it says somewhere in the Bible, deny me or deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me daily, right? Like deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. Get, get the log out of your own eye. You, um, the third G is gently restore. One of our goals in conflict, if we notice somebody else is in sin, is to restore gently. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. 
There is times when someone's caught in sin and that sin is causing conflict. And your job is, is to go and show them their sin. Gently. And there's always a thing we say, if you guys ever heard it before, you might have heard this before, is you praise publicly and you rebuke privately. So if I have to show Kevin his sin, I don't have to do it up here in front of everybody. I would do it in my office and say, here is the sin that I, that I see. Do you agree with it? I'm only telling you this because I love you. And that's called gently restoring. And it's good. Um, this is not by, about winning anything. It's not about proving yourself. It's asking yourself, how can I lovingly help the other take responsibility to their contribution in this conflict? I see that there's sin here. I want to gently restore them according to Galatians 6. And the fourth is this, is, is go and be reconciled. Matthew 5.24 uh, said it again. Is, but it's First, go and be reconciled to them before you even give your gift. Go and be reconciled. Demonstrate biblical forgiveness. Demonstrate biblical forgiveness. You know how you sinned against God. You know how you, oh, this is about biblical forgiveness, and it talks about this, and we'll get into this a lot later. But you guys all know how you sinned against God, right? Everybody here was a sinner at one time, right? Would you guys all agree with that? Nod your head if you're tracking with me. Like, helpless bad sinners. Some of us, our sin might have been a little bit better than somebody else's sin, but it's like comparing one dog turd to another. It's like we're all sinners, and God forgave us, washed us clean, and we need to think about that when, we forget, when people sin against us. Look at all God forgave me for. God adopted me into his family and called me a child, and I need to forgive others because of what God did for me. And go and be reconciled. We should never be okay with broken relationships. We should never be okay with broken relationships. We can try to seek reconciliation, and the other party might say, no, thank you. And we could say, please, you know, I want to reconcile. They could say no. And I feel like at that point, there's nothing more you could do, right? But if you don't try, that's where it's not good. We should always try to reconcile. That's good. That's what God did for us. Um, I always, hey, there's always times where there are situations where I know somebody in the church and I ask them about their, a kid or something and they're like, oh, I don't talk to them anymore. We had a falling out a few years ago. And I'm just like, ah, that's so hard. It's like we should never have these, we should never be okay with broken relationships. And again, I know there's times where we, that person has tried to reconcile and it didn't go anywhere. And there's nothing you could do about that. Like you can't change somebody's heart. Um, but we should always, always, always try to go and be reconciled. And then I'll give you a fifth G, which is not really part of the G's, but it's the foundational G. So there is five G's. But the foundational G is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In everything we do, we should be thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, if you guys know this, God didn't just die on the cross and save us so we go to heaven. That is a big part of the gospel but the gospel also says that we have peace here on earth. 
We could have overcome from fear. We could have deliverance. We could have healing. There's so much more that we could have here on earth that God wants for you. Much more than just heaven. Heaven's the granddaddy of all prizes, don't get me wrong. But while we're going to be here on earth for another hundred years, maybe, God wants so much for us. He doesn't want us to be in the muck and mire of pain, suffering, discommunity, dis and, and, and fighting, and all these things. He wants so much for us. He wants to save not only us and bring life to us, but He wants to save and bring life to every situation. Do you know God could step into every situation and make it better than it was before? Like, God could take, no matter how messed up a relationship is, God can heal it. God can bring life to it. God can do all these things because He's God, right? And so we invite Him into every situation. And so, as the worship team could come up here, um, I, I have a challenge for you, okay? And so here's the challenge. When you face conflict this week, I want you to try to demonstrate the four G's. Remember the fifth G, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but demonstrate the four G's. The first is glorify God. I want to glorify God in this conflict. Get the log out of your own eye. Make sure you're looking in the mirror and not the window. Gently restore. The key is gently. And go and be reconciled. So when you are in conflict this week, I want you to all demonstrate these four G's before we go into our next week of conflict resolution preaching. Does that sound good? Okay, let me pray for us. God, we have a church full of people that you love immensely. And God, we know one thing that it just breaks your heart to see unresolved conflict. So I pray that we can try our best by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live up to your final prayer, where you said, I pray that they're just one. God, help us put aside some of our differences, some of our hurts, some of our pain, some of our suffering, to love one another well. And God, I pray that you just pull out any pride that's existing in any of us, so that we could truly love others the way that you loved us. And I pray that we put these things into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.